Ruin My Childhood. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ruin My Childhood, the podcast where you decide if some things are better left in the past. I'm Mike. And I'm Kat. And uh, what are we going to be talking about today, Kat? The Mask of Zorro. Zorro. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. That did not work, right? Um, I, I remember really liking this movie, but I'll let you go first. Uh, what do you, What do you remember about this movie? Oh, this is this was huge. There was so much advertising for this. I feel like everyone and and their whole family saw this movie and then purchased it after. We didn't purchase it, but we we saw it. I think we saw it in theaters, and I know I think we actually rented this movie multiple times, and we definitely watched it every time it was on TV. Um, is there any anything that stands out to you though? Any scenes? A lot of anything? fighting and uh, the the scene where he's like having a sword fight with her, and then like looking back on it, <laughs> he cuts her clothes off, which is yeah, that's what I remember. Horrible. That's but, what I remember. Yeah. This movie came out in July of nineteen ninety eight, so I was nine, going on ten. You were already ten, and you know. I'm at that age, I was at that age where I'm a little young to be liking girls, you know, right on that cusp. But I remember being somewhat intrigued by that scene, <laughs> not necessarily like understanding what it Too was yet. Too young for a crush, not but not young enough to not be rubbing one out to a grown. No, 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 no. You can't say that on our podcast. <laughs> Can I not? No, That's a bit much. No, I mean, you know, I'm young enough to not really comprehend what's going on biologically going like oh that is interesting and young enough where i was still at that age was like oh girls are kind of gross like obviously there were little crushes but not like super into like girls on a physical level but i still was intrigued by intrigued (laughs) (laughs) so what you're saying is uh you're a boob guy yeah (laughs) (laughs) and and Catherine zeta jones is a very beautiful woman very pretty so i i just remember that but i remember really liking this movie and then of course you know Right after this, just a couple years later, Shrek and Shrek Two came out, and Antonio Banderas was in that, and Spy Kids. That's it's like so weird that like that's the connection you make. Well, no, Shrek. it's just because he was Puss, Puss in, boots, in Boots, and then you know he did the Spy Kids, so it's like he had been around, like he had done Desperado and whatnot. I felt um, like that was the end of his career. No, that like des- this was just a, a couple years after Desperado, so he this was like the start of his like american career especially being in like more family-friendly films like this was kind of his first like family action movie family movie is this pg-13 this is pg-13 yeah like i definitely remember watching this with my family but i i remember i don't don't remember the overall plot i just know he's not the original zorro anthony hopkins plays the original zorro and then it's like 20 year time jump and then he trains Antonio Banderas to be yeah, I a really Mexican Zorro. remember anything. <laughs> that's that's all I remember. I remember there's a white guy in there that we're supposed to just like. I mean, it's a western. Yeah, essentially. So that's probably like realistically all there is to it. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I I'm actually really excited about this one. We we talked we've talked about doing this one at least three or four times over the last couple of years, and we were just going through i think it was paramount plus and we saw that it was ending july 31st we're like well we might as well do it now might as but well. uh I'm, I'm kind of excited i remember really really liking this movie i don't remember if i liked it or disliked it i think i just kind of let it wash over me yeah well <laughs> let's let's let it wash over and then we'll come back and think about it critically in just a bit all right he defied the law and became a legend 
Zoro was a servant of the people. He did what was needed. Now he's needed again. Now he will train the next generation. This is going to take a lot of work. And avenge his past. Tell her who her real father is. The truth dies with me. Antonio Banderas, Anthony Hopkins, The Mask of Zorro, rated PG-13. All right, we're back. We just watched Zorro. But before we, we get into it, we're going to have uh, Katrina have a sip of her LaCroix. Not a sponsor, but feel free to sponsor us, LaCroix. <laughs> do they do advertising? I don't know. They should, though. Yeah, I, I don't think they need to. Everybody knows LaCroix. Um... But yeah, that's not what we're here to talk about, but feel free to sponsor us, LaCroix. Um, but yeah, The Mask of Zorro, uh, we'll tell you a little bit about how it got made, a little bit about the movie, and then we'll, we'll tell you our thoughts on it. Um, so this was directed by Martin Campbell, who did GoldenEye and Casino Royale. He also, unfortunately, did the uh, <laughs> the Green Lantern movie, which was not very good. Oh. Um, but this was written by uh, Ted Elliott and uh, Terry Rossio, who they've worked together on a bunch of things. They wrote most of the Shrek series. Um, Aladdin, the Lone Ranger, and the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, as well as the 1998 Godzilla. Um, so a lot of movies Dang. in our wheelhouse. Uh, Small Soldiers, which I know you haven't seen, but that was one of my favorite movies as a kid. Um, had a had a pretty big budget for 1998, and you know, uh, essentially, like you said, I think you you referred to this movie as kind of like a western at the top of the episode. Yeah. Um, ninety five million dollar budget on this movie. Uh, made two hundred and fifty million. Rotten Tomato score really solid, eighty three percent from critics, and an audience pretty solid score from the audience at seventy three percent. And this was like the Fourth uh, of July weekend movie. Uh, came out July seventh, nineteen ninety eight. Very nice. In October nineteen ninety two, TriStar Pictures and Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment hired Joel Gross to write the script after they were impressed with his adaptation of Disney's The Three Musketeers. Spielberg was set to be producer and possibly direct. In nineteen ninety three, TriStar entered pre production, creating nearly creating early promotion for the film that same month at the Show West Trade Show. By December ninety three, Branko Lustig was producing the film with Spielberg and Michael Solomon was attached as the director. In August 1994, Sean Connery was cast as Don Diego de... Wild. What? Wild. Sean, Sean Connery. I know. That's so bizarre. Sean Connery is cast as Don Diego de la Vega, while Salomon stated that the rest of the major cast would be Hispanic or Latino. Huh. How generous. Uh, the first <laughs> chosen for the role of Zorro in the, in the young version was Andy Garcia, a fashionable Latino actor at the time. Colombian singer Shakira was considered to play Elena, but turned it down due to her limited acting experience and poor English, and poor English skills at the time. Just all would have been great. <laughs> she would have done just fine. She would have looked great. Just at the very fine. Least. Connery and Salomon eventually dropped out, and in September 1995, Robert Rodriguez, fresh off success of Desperado, signed to direct with Antonio Banderas, who had also starred in Desperado, playing the title role. Tristar and Amblin had been surprised by Rodriguez's low budget filming techniques for his action films, El Mariachi and Desperado, and shifted away from their initial plans with Salomon to make a big budget to make a big-budget version of Zorro. Spielberg had hoped Rodriguez would start filming in January 1996 for a Christmas release date, but that start date was pushed back to July. The release date was later moved to Easter 97, and Rodriguez pulled out of the film in June 96 over difficulties coming to terms with TriStar on the budget. Banderas remained in the production, and Martin Campbell signed on later that month, turning down a chance to direct Tomorrow Never Dies after his success with relaunching the Bond character in GoldenEye. 
The principal photography for the film began in Mexico on January 27, 1997, on a $60 million budget. Production stalled for four days in February when the director, Martin Campbell, was hospitalized for bronchitis. Anybody got time for that? Sony sent David Foster to join the project as a producer to help fill the void left by Steven Spielberg and Walter F. Parks and Laurie McDonald, who were busy running DreamWorks. In December, the producers were frustrated by customs agents when the props when props and some other items, including Zorro's plastic sword, were held for nine days. All these delays and issues caused the film to go $10 million over budget. During the post-production phase, Spielberg and Campbell decided that Diego de la Vega's death in the arms of his daughter was too depressing to be the ending, where Alejandro and Elena are happily married with their infant son was added three months after filming had ended, raising the budget another $3 million in interest costs as the film was delayed again. <sighs> The Mask of Zorro was initially set for release on December 19th, 97, before the release date was changed to March 98. There was speculation within the media about whether TriStar changed the date in an attempt to avoid competition with Titanic. That's the move. In reality, Zorro had encountered production problems that extended its shooting schedule. In addition, Sony Pictures Entertainment, TriStar's parent company, wanted an action film for its first quarter releases of 98. The release date was once again pushed back, this time to July 98. That is insane. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I read it a little bit into that that budget situation with um, uh, Robert Rodriguez in the studio. He wanted like forty five million dollars to do this movie. Um, the studio offered him like thirty seven million, and then he actually went down and said he could do it for forty two. And then like they only offered him forty one million. Like they couldn't just give him the extra million, so he walked. <laughs> so yeah, so and then it ended That's up going insane. to Martin Campbell, and then they immediately raised the budget. There had to, to be like a personality conflict. There, there, I'm sure there was to walk they at got, that point and have them like just be like, no, okay, well, fine. After he was in, well, and Antonio Banderas stuck around. <laughs> just, uh, that's so petty. Well, and then the budget immediately goes up to sixty million with Martin Campbell. Now that being said, Martin Campbell had directed some bigger budget stuff like Goldeneye, which was just very successful. So I get them being willing to risk a little bit more money with him, um, which leads into the legacy of this film. So um, this film opened to generally favorable reviews, um, highlighting Antonio Banderas's performance, um, as well as the stunt choreography um, and the action sequence in general. Roger Ebert said um, it's a reminder of the days when stunts and special effects were integrated into the stories rather than the other way around. And he hailed the Mask of Zorro's possibly the best Zorro movie ever made. Okay, well, Roger Ebert is a little hyperbolic and apparently hasn't seen Zorro the Gay Blade. Yeah, which we've covered. Go back and check that episode. That was a fun fun movie to watch. Um, this movie was nominated for various awards from the BAFTAs and the Academy Award, mainly for technical stuff like sound mixing and costuming. Um, but it was nominated for multiple MTV movie awards, including Best Breakout Female Performance with Catherine Zeta-Jones. Okay, but and did it win Best Kiss? No, it was not nominated for that. It was also nominated for Best Fight. It wasn't nominated for Best Kiss? Nope. I mean, was there like a really good Not really. Kiss? It was a really awkward no, open mouth like kiss. No, just like just rapey uh, shedding of clothing. Yeah. Oh, well, there's also that same fight scene. He like kisses her multiple times. Like he gets her in like a lock and then like kisses her against the wall. I mean, they were like flirt fighting. And that's I'm flirt glad you I'm glad you bring up that scene <laughs> because um that was like I said at the beginning this that was like the money shot of the trailer. And that's the scene that everybody talked about at the time. Um, but it was that's also a on much a, to put in a trailer. Yeah. It, but a lot of people called this the one of the most erotic scenes of, of the 90s. I feel like the trailer kind of shows all the best parts of the movie. Oh, I'm sure it did. <laughs> so perfect. segue. I'll, I'll do a quick summary and okay. then we'll, we'll get into it. So um, late 
uh, or I think it was like 1810 or something like that. It was like the early 1800s. Spain uh, is unfortunately ha- for them, unfortunately for them, <laughs> fortunately for, for, for the uh, native populations of Mexico and California. Um, Spain, you know, lost the war. So they were going to be, you know, pulling out of California and Mexico. Um, and the governor was going to have to give up his power. Um, this was Don Rafael Montanero. And he decides to kind of stick it to the people of Mexico and California one more time by just executing three random men um, as a trap for Zorro. Um, Zorro wins the day. He, he rescues everybody. But uh, Montanero figures out that Zorro is actually Don De La Vega, De La Vega um, and steals his daughter. And his guards accidentally kill his wife. And he puts him in prison for 20 years. Where we fast forward twenty years later, it's Don Diego de la Vega. Don Diego de la Vega <laughs> uh, is in prison for twenty years, and uh, Antonio Banderas plays uh, Alejandro Murrieta, and he is a bandit who uh, gets witnesses his brother get killed by uh, uh, Montanero's right hand man, a an American soldier, and decides that he wants revenge, and he stumbles across um, de la Vega who is not a young man anymore. He can't fight the battles as much, so he decides to take Alejandro under his wing and train him to be the new Zorro. Dun, 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 dun. The straight blade. The straight blade. <laughs> <laughs> um, the aggressively heterosexual blade. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought this movie opened really strong. Like the... Um, like we mentioned, the the reviews say the action sequences are really great. It starts off really strong, and I was really impressed with uh, Anthony Hopkins oh, yeah. doing a lot of this stuff. But it's like a really creative fight scene that opens it up where he's rescuing these three random men that are going to get killed just because the governor's pissed that he doesn't have get to control Mexico and California anymore. But he does this thing where he like is on the gallows. He's fighting like three guys, and he activates the lever, and then he drops through the gallows, and then does a flip over the edge and then like pokes a guy in the butt and stuff like that. And then he's like hanging off of ledges and stuff and using the whip. And it was like really, really great choreography that like really used the set and the architecture and everything. And it just was like really organic, but still a little over the top, but it worked. It, it was. And I feel like every single fight was way over the top and theatrical and melodramatic in the best way possible. Yeah. I love that that it really is the meat of the movie. I mean, like, you could criticize it in that way. Like, the plot really is kind of secondary. And, you know, yeah. it, it's like taking taking brutal, bloody history and kind of toning it down, which is an odd choice. Yeah, which is interesting because there are actually a few real-life figures in this movie. Right. That was, like, so interesting to me that they they took something that like is inherently kind of a violent character and violent stories and they toned down the real aspect of it and then replaced it with this like theatrical melodramatic presentation of the violence. Right. (laughs) I mean, like it's what the audience was ready for at the time, I guess. But like, if you were to do that today, holy crap, you you would not do well. What's what's interesting, and I'm 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 kind of surprised that they did it this way, because um, Antonio Banderas plays Alejandro Marietta, who's the brother of um, was it Manuel? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Manuel Marietta, who was actually a real bandit around at that time, who was a thorn in the side of the uh, Spanish. And he... Well, no, Joaquin was who Zorro oh, sorry, was based Joaquin. off That's of. what I meant. Yeah. I said Manuel. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back. Um, Joaquin said, Murrieta. Yeah. Um, so Joaquin uh, Murrieta is an actual person and an actual bandit from that time who was a thorn in the sides of uh, the Spanish, you mm-hmm. know, almost like a, a Mexican Robin Hood kind of character. Well, at the time, there were so many different groups that were kind of holding land in these different areas that, I mean, like, they all had just as much of a non-claim to it as anyone Absolutely. else. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but that's a that was a real-life character or not character, a real-life person, um, it would have been inter- that Zorro was based off of, and it would have been interesting if they made him Zorro, and made, they should have had Antonio Banderas be him. Mm-hmm. But instead, they kill him. Now, the guy died in real life by the actual character who killed him. It was also a real person. Um, uh, Captain Harrison Love was a, a real American soldier in that era um, at the time, and he actually killed Marietta, cut off his head, and his friend, the three-fingered Jack, in real life, he was um, Hispanic. He was not a white man. But he actually did cut off his hand and his head and preserve it, like, in this movie. So they made him have um, a younger brother, Alejandro, who became Zorro. So it's interesting that they had the basis for Zorro in the movie, but didn't make him Zorro. It is interesting. One of the, one of the other things that I thought was interesting about this in the beginning of the movie is we get... There's stuff that comes back around, so... Um, when uh, Montanero shows up at De La Vega's house and we're in the middle of De La Vega telling stories about Zorro to his daughter mm-hmm. and that, you know, that comes back around later. But we also see um, baby Benderas. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> his character is there in that bat fi- final battle of Zorro um, as a kid. And then it comes back around and, you know, there's an ambulance and that's why they, they figure it all out. Um, so this movie you know, sets up a lot of stuff at the beginning. And I think it really, really does pay off. Um, but when I'm trying to think where I want to go, I mean, there's so many different things that do come back that you probably don't notice unless you're really like paying attention. And I think they do that to reinforce these little Easter eggs for the audience. It's, it's kind of assuming the worst of your audience that they're not intelligent enough to pick up these things the first time they see it like and they're all a little bit heavy-handed so you see um elena as a baby and her father is you know telling her stories and he has flowers in his hand and then later when she comes back to california with her father they greet her with flowers and she recognizes and she yeah she recognizes the scent and they say oh well you know they only grow in california so you know, there's no way you, you could have before. Right. And and that's like when um, Diego de, Don Diego de la Vega actually sees her for the first time. And we know from that little exchange there that that's his daughter. Right. But then they bring it up again. Because of like a random villager tells her, you're definitely from here. Your father right. was a Don. And then what, the flowers yeah. come into play later because then he's Soto's actually holding them in the end yeah. when he has his and Elena's baby. So. Well, even I mean, that stuff was really heavy handed, but even like some of the action stuff, I was really surprised. There's a training montage in this. It's actually a pretty solid training montage. Right. Um, but there's like this weird kind of like ropes course in the cave where he's training um, where he does these things where like there's ropes that are at like 45 degree angles and there's ones that are, you know, 
upright and all these different angles and he has to like jump over one swing swing back around and you know do some acrobatics through these ropes and we know Zoro's an acrobatic fighter he's always been in all these movies he's like swinging on banisters and stuff like that but at the end of the movie there's a point where he's they're on this like rope elevator that's being suspended and he like does the same like routine where he spins around the ropes and jumps around (laughs) and like he's able to jump off the elevator before it crashes kind of thing um that i thought was really funny because like i made a joke about it during the montage and i'm like i bet those ropes are gonna come in handy later and then sure enough he does exactly that at the end i'm like yep yep i was right i'm glad (laughs) it paid off at the end um any highlights for you you know before we start moving on the movie was kind of a highlight for me just how generally heavy-handed everything had to be and i kind of forgot that was a thing that 90s movies did that were kind of a little bit more family oriented trying to offer something for everyone yeah they they had to make it as obvious as obvious as possible because you've got so many different ways of thinking in those kinds of audiences versus right. if your target demographic is much narrower so it took like really big swings and it just had to kind of like hedge its bets with some stuff that ended up playing as really cheesy and campier than we were already expecting right from a I, I think that's fair <laughs> um but it, it it does have like you know that nostalgic um campiness of westerns and it, in some ways that's fun i'm glad that it doesn't have um any kind of derogatory presentation of native americans which is a refreshing departure from westerns no absolutely <laughs> and kind of a rare exception no, absolutely. I'm one of the things that I thought was uh, <laughs> pretty funny. This is this is a little nitpicky for me. Um, he he trained really fast. So this whole movie, you know, it's supposed to be twenty years afterwards. We don't really know how long they're training, but I would imagine it was a couple of weeks. But at the beginning of the montage, you know, he does some really impressive flourishes. Like it looks like he's held a sword before, and then Zora just like taps the sword, and it right. like falls out of his hand. Um, okay, so. Wait, where are you going with this? Uh, uh, Was there uh, more? Th- yeah, there's a little bit more. Um, so he gets through the montage, and like every other montage, by the end of it, he he bests the trainer and everything. And then he's like, well, you're almost ready. Now I got to train you to be a gentleman. But we don't see any of that training. Right. He's just like, next scene, he's pretending to be, you know, the a Don. But there's I mean, a scene. They're a little over for time. Yeah. But there's a, <laughs> there's a scene, you know. Like you mentioned, it's mainly action sequences. I do disagree with Roger Ebert a little bit that the action sequences were integrated into the story. I think it's more action. The story was loosely fitted around it. Right. They did a great job integrating it, but there's like this scene where he's not he's not quite Zoro yet. He's done all the combat training, um, but he goes and steals a horse because they see this horse while they're going around town <laughs> I doing love that scene. doing um some like uh <laughs> just doing some reconnaissance but the horse changes color like four times in like a 10 second clip okay well first of all he thinks he can just like horse whisper his way through this situation the horse doesn't know him no he just walks on into the stable and what he like tells the horse he's like giving it the honor of being his horse <laughs> like it understands and he's basically just uh, i'm gonna take you and you're gonna like it you're welcome <laughs> To be fair, they and, had a, a meet cute and at then the it market. kind of like threw him around the room for a little while, which is nice. Well, then they ended up, but they have this like big fight scene, and like he gets, you know, like all the guards in the town come, and there's one giant guard who's like seven feet tall, and he has to use cannonballs to like 
knocked some sense in this guy, and then he spits out all of his teeth. And then, you know, he fights a bunch of the rest of the guys. He inadvertently sets the barn and everything on fire. Um, then he has to go hide in the church because he made, like, a huge spectacle, and that's where we have, like, the meet-cute with uh, Elena. And, you know, th that's a pretty good confessional scene. We might want to go back to that. But then he shows goes back, Zor OG Zorro, kind of, like, chastises him, and he's just like, you told me that I need to go become Zoro, and here I go being Zoro, and you get mad at me. And then he goes like, all right, you're right. You need to be a gentleman now. And then all of a sudden, the rest of the movie, like, he's an incredible fighter and, like, doesn't mess up at all. Right. Like, that, 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 I thought that was a little odd how he progressed so fast. He fumbles around his, like, first mission that he gives himself. But as soon as OG Zoro signs off on him, he's, like, a perfect fighter. Yeah, he's somehow amazing after just a few weeks whereas elena has supposedly been training in her sword fighting for since, since she was like four. four yeah so 16 years she's so, supposed to be like, 20 i don't buy that is zora supposed to have is he imbued with some mystical sword fighting ability that just made him well better than other people if you ask um, it depends on the source material yeah <laughs> well if you ask the uh choreographer of the movie antonio banderas was a natural talent Oh, yeah, he's insane. So, he's, like, great about doing his own stunts. And it really, really paid off in this film because there's so much that just would not have looked as beautiful as it does with yeah. the choreography if they were cutting between him and stunts. There were some long cuts and really, long really, takes really on long. this. And you can tell it was Antonio Banderas doing it. So he he really wanted to do most of his own stunts. So he actually trained before his training was officially supposed to start with this movie. Um, he trained with the Spanish... Um, Olympic um, fencing team for four months. That was crazy. I thought, and because Antonio Banderas has played so many roles in like Mexican cinema and, you know, Desperado. He trained with Bob Anderson, who had trained um, Errol Flynn. Yeah. And then he also trained a lot of people during the Lord of the Rings movies, too. Um, but yeah, Antonio Banderas, I thought he was Mexican, but he's actually from Spain. I didn't know Spain. that. But he, uh, he trained with the Spanish Olympic team for four months. And then he started his official training with Bob. And they did another two months 10 hours a day and bob said that he was the most gifted natural swordsman he had ever met that sounds so fun i there are actually a couple fencing classes in los angeles and i've actually been interested in doing it especially after watching you know we watch i love you man all the time and like paul red's characters into fencing but i just feel like it'd be too expensive so i haven't actually looked into it it's pretty amazing how much you see anthony hopkins actually do because he almost I mean, he refused the part originally because he needed back surgery. Yeah. And he was able to have like laser back surgery that enabled him to take the role. Rich. <laughs> I mean, at the time, yeah, that wasn't really accessible no. to everyone. Well, what's funny is like, you know, we kind of scoffed at the fact that they were going to do um, Sean Connery initially because I mean, it's a similar role. He played a Spaniard <laughs> in, um, in Highlander. Um, but you know, I kind of it kind of works for this. So all the Spaniards have British accents because yeah, the they have to differentiate between them and, and then the Mexico. white people that are in uh, California already, like Three Fingered Jack, right? Because he's got this kind of like American Western accent, more typical of westerns. And then Harrison Love, the Colonel. Every, that, everyone else's accents is just kind of like a mishmash. Yeah. They speak Spanglish. Sometimes they speak in Spanish. Sometimes they speak in English. Sometimes they just have random exclamations in Spanish. Right. Ay, bendito. No, they don't do that. That's from Daddy Yankee. <laughs> um, well, what's funny, like in my notes, I Harrison Love, the 
the main foil to Antonio Banderas because uh, he killed his brother. I called all my notes refer to him as uh, not Kiefer Sutherland because <laughs> I, I I didn't hear his name. I didn't notice it until the the credits. So yeah, not Kiefer Sutherland is <laughs> is in this because he looks uncanny to nineties late eighties early nineties Kiefer Sutherland. Just throwing Kiefer. that out there. Kiefer. Kiefer. Um. I mean, while we were still on stunts, I had another stunts note. Yeah, give me that note. Oh, like while we're talking about stunts, um, Martin Campbell didn't want to use Zorro's famous whip. Kinky. I mean, the character's kind of famous for using that bull whip on on pretty much everything. Um, But Anthony Hopkins felt that the whip was important, (laughs) so he practiced daily. He learned how to use the whip and persuaded Campbell to film certain tricks with it. Yeah, he did the little the famous thing where you like uh blow out candles with with the the whip. It looks great. Yeah, he he did a good job. It's a fun it's a fun gag. I wonder if him and Michelle Pfeiffer have ever like traded secrets on the whip cuz she did all her whip work. Whip work. You, th- you think they go to a dungeon together on the weekends? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe that'd good be cool. For them. Good for them. <laughs> Everyone needs a good hobby. <laughs> um one of the other anything else with the stunts? Th- that last time, maybe so. we should talk about some action sequences. You know, let's make sure we're done. That final action sequence at the mine. Oh my god! It's so there's so much going on. You know, he's zip lining, he's doing flippy flips, he's hanging off of um, elevators. There's explosions, and it's all really, really good. He does this like zip line while he's like right, like snowboarding with a shovel. Oh wait, I had one more stunt note. Go for it. We're talking stunts still. Um, the swords they used for filming were made of aluminum, so they produced like really loud clanking sounds and it just didn't sound sexy enough so they had to dub the clinks and clanks of the swords oh that would have been cool for the foley artist single fight like holy crap (laughs) that is so much work i mean that makes sense don't they have to do that generally because a lot of times they're just using rubber swords anyway most of the time you just there's nothing there but to have to like sample to take out the audio and then replace it with something else. And there are a lot of scenes where you see yeah. hundreds of swords going at the same Clanking. time. Yeah, there's there's quite a bit of that. Um, we'll, we, you know, because we're on the action scenes, we can discuss them and then we'll get back to it. But um, there's a part where <laughs> at the final battle, you know, Zoro comes out on top. He stabs um, Harrison Love. Um, Harrison Love's just kind of like, oh, man, I'm still alive, but I'm in a lot of pain. And then the elevator shaft with crates full of gold falls on him and pummels him. It's he brutal. did not die instantly right, on no. that. He would have <laughs> just been like crushed and bleeding internally. It gave me the vibe, like, and it made me really sad because it's my favorite character in, in The Walking Dead. And I never really recovered from it. But when Glenn gets killed, he gets like bludgeoned by a bat. And he's still kind of like kicking for a few seconds. And he's like, like talking. And he's like... <gasps> Like, I just imagine that guy doing this and just being, like, gasping for air as both his lungs are collapsed. I was like, God, that sucks. What that, a shitty way to go. That would be exactly how it went. He was such a good villain. This, he was. He was this great. This whole film, like, it had every single great villain. I like, loved it. The performances were all great. Like, I think everybody did a really good job. I think I think Antonio Banderas killed it. Um, but the story element was just really, really weak. It's just like, okay, to get out of, uh, to help out his homies and... The governor um, gave a bunch of land to his his like his crew, the other Dons. So that way, because he's just like, yeah, it's kind of lawless out here. The United States, Mexico will honor. You and that's guys how my ancestors land. got their land. 
That's exactly yep. it. So they got they were just like, and eh, this the the people will maintain that you guys own it because it's private. It's, you guys aren't working for the government anymore. Um, and then they just decide, oh well, Mexico's under you know is having a war and they need to pay for it. Well, we'll just steal a bunch of gold from the mines that they don't realize are here and buy Mexico from them. And like that is the story. Yeah, like, that's it. And it's like we we see. Um, I think it would have been a little bit more interesting if there was a little bit more time for for Marietta to you know kind of schmooze the dawn because he goes to like one party and he just says like hey the queen knows it wasn't your fault and the guy's like hey you can hang <laughs> and like invites him over and he's like oh by the way we've got like a mine that we've been secretly mining using slave labor and we're gonna buy Mexico from Mexico using their own gold don't tell anybody bro and he's just like cool and then like right though love just is like you kind of look like the guy whose brother <laughs> i killed and then he's just like i'm gonna kill you and then there, he's just like well this isn't good and then somehow he found time to like sneak some smooches in with elena and then it's just like the end of the movie yeah like, they... it just rips so new zorro watches his brother get killed correct and then he drinks the head juice correct why? He had to, to keep his cover. It would have smelled so horrible. There's no way you would have been able to swallow that. Back then, everything smelled terrible, though. <laughs> we should flesh out the scene. <laughs> so, um, what's that white guy's name? Uh, Lo- uh, Captain Love. So, Captain Love uh, asks to speak with him in his office, and he just, like, has his brother's head in a pitcher. And is it his brother's hand too? No, who's, it's the, who's the it other was guy's the, it hand. Was Jack's hand. It was Jack's hand in like a, a, a another cup. jar. Yeah, like a mason jar. And our hero takes a swig of it, and it wasn't even that he was like poured a glass from it. Like he dips this cup in himself into the pitcher, and then takes a sip of his dead brother's tea. Head tea. <laughs> He had to maintain his cover. Okay, but like, even if that wasn't his brother and that was just some random guy, like, why would you do that? Honey, they How drink, do you not puke? They put like snakes and scorpions and stuff. They're used to putting dead things in their liquor. That probably would have killed him. All the bacteria that would have been in that. No, it was preserved. Oh. No, it was totally fine. I hated that. Probably tasted real good. That was stupid. Keep your family close. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> um,. Yeah, that was that was a bit of a stretch for me. And the relationship between the two Zoros, like the older one. Okay, first of all, the younger one shows up and he's like not trying to lay low at all. No. He's harassing people in the street. He's getting drunk with like no plan for what he's going to do. Nope, he's an idiot. And uh, old Zoro just happens to be in the right place at the right time. Sees the amulet. And like he sees the amulet and then just decides that this is his homeboy but then he seems and maybe this is just like the difference in their performance styles because i think benderas has a little bit more flourish and he's just a little bit more theatrical well they actually made they did that a little bit on purpose because they also changed the zorro costume for him so because he's supposed to be mexican the the newer Zorro costume has more Mexican right. flair. And Whereas the old one was kind of like a traditional Andalusian Correct. costume. So, I, you know, I think that could be just, you know, it's a different culture. It's different, younger. I mean, the other Zorro, even 20 years prior, was still an older dude. Like, he mm-hmm. was in his fort. Like, he was 
too old to be Zoro the last time he was Zoro, let alone 20 years later. I do like that they kept um, the fact that Zoro smiles while he fights. Yeah, it's, you know, a staple. Which can be, like, really freaking creepy. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it, it gets into the minds of the people he's fighting where it looks like, I'm not having any difficulty doing this. This is fun. Right, so for me, like, it seemed like old Zoro was... I mean, in some ways he was bored, he was defeated, but he was kind of like condescending in his approach and in the way that he gave information well, he's also... and help and advice. But he was he was like almost bored and condescending to the point where you're like, you're not sure if he's fully invested in the he's younger not. guy's he's success. Rich. I mean, I think it comes from there's a cultural difference in Spain, Sp uh, Mexico, but also Antonio Banderas's version was a bandit and basically a homeless person and you know he's the lowest he was a vagrant and de la vega was a don like he was a you know a one percenter yeah i think so there is that and then also we do see i didn't remember this plot point and i was actually kind of disappointed by it at the end and i think part of the end is not earned because when we figure out what's going on you know um uh antonio banderas's version uh new new zorro uh <laughs> neuro uh <laughs> he decides he, or he figures out the plot he steals the map he finds out that there's this mine and they're gonna blow up the mine and kill all the workers so that way mexico never finds out that they um were swindled right. okay um, but like who are the workers gonna tell mexico <laughs> <laughs> but he, he they decide to you know they're gonna kill everyone it so just seems like an odd move to give a crap about potential complications from people you've already subjugated it's. I don't remember what they said. Something about it, like they were going to find out because Mexico. The, oh, the the general, um, the general Santa Ana was going to be coming, and and there was no shot chance that they wouldn't see the mine, so they had to blow it up. Mm. Something like that. But you know, New Zorro finds this out, and he's he's a good dude. Like he, you know, he has his revenge plot, and he proves that he really should be Zorro because he's willing to put his revenge plot on hold for a minute to go save all these people. And so he goes to OG Zoro, and OG Zoro's like, cool, you've proven yourself, you're Zoro now, go take care of it. I'm going to go dip and take care of my revenge. And Zoro's like, new Zoro's like, are you kidding me? Like, you told me I couldn't go kill my dude. Like, I've could, I've had so many opportunities where I could have killed not Kiefer Sutherland. Mm -hmm. And you keep telling me, no, you made me go undercover. You made me drink my brother's head tea <laughs> because I had to be undercover. I had to smile with him. I had to go to a party and dance with him. And then you're just going to go abandon me when I actually like we actually have a real mission to help the people well, of Mexico. He was too creepy at the party. R right. So he goes. <laughs> so, you know, and at this point, um, Anthony Hopkins, OG Zorro, goes to like the mansion and, you know, puts a sword to Montanero's throat and is like, Catherine Zeta Jones is my daughter. Tell her. Tell her. And then he, you know, ends up getting arrested because they're willing to shoot the daughter and it's just like right like how does he flip that quickly right so he, he does that and was that so really the long game and he was just like playing her this whole time right so he's like so she goes and rescues him and gets him out and they help antonio banderas in the finale but like he's not all that heroic like he was willing to like let antonio banderas realistically die doing that on his own yeah and not save the hundreds of people he said i gave my life for them like i shouldn't have to do it again like he was kind of about it and goes in you know he had to go tell his daughter and everything and then at the end you know he does get killed 
you know, he gets fatally wounded. And the movie was originally going to end with him dying in Catherine Zeta-Jones' arms. It didn't test well, so they added the, you know, the prologue. It's too depressing. Um, or the epilogue. The epilogue. Epilogue. Uh, with, with the child, which I think made the movie better. It bookends it because it we did. see it. But, like, I don't feel like that ending is truly earned for Anthony Hopkins because even did the during the big finale, he only fought Montanero. And let Antonio Banderas fight hundreds of faceless goons. <laughs> and then he does show up at the end and prevents, you know, Montanero from shooting him. But it's like all he did was fight Montanero. He didn't really help. He wasn't that heroic Look, at the end. It's the legendary Zoro, not the noble Zoro. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, and then at the end of the movie, you know, because he had to get his revenge, he did take off the mask. He was like, you were right. I was that guy's brother. Right. But all, like hundreds and hundreds of people saw Antonio Banderas. They're going to know how handsome and sexy and who his wife is like they're gonna know all this like i i there's a sequel that came out seven years later i've only seen the sequel one time so i don't really remember it but i don't see how zoro is a secret seven years from now yeah it, it doesn't make any sense the only thing that makes sense is like everyone knows but no one really cares because he's the hero right i think that's about it it ended with a uh uh what was very in style at the time and to be fair martin campbell did direct goldeneye goldeneye or the 007 movies normally kind of do this at the front of the movie with like you know looking down the barrel and shooting down the barrel of the gun kind of thing mm -hmm. um but this had a thing that was very much like batman and robin and batman returns which both had come out prior to this um where at the end of the movie the hero walks across the screen looks down and starts running and does like kind of a flourish like it really reminded me of the the Joel Schumacher Batman's at the end because he just like walks down, looks dead center of the screen, makes a Z slash and fire, and then it's just like, whoosh, and then cuts to a, you know a, you know top forty song for the ballad for the credits. It really did play like a superhero film. It it did like I you could this could have been any nineties superhero movie early two thousand pretty much any superhero movie before MCU. Absolutely, I think like this was kind of. When they were refining that perfect formula for an action, like, crowd-pleaser film. Yeah, because, I mean, this was before <laughs> Spider-Man. This was before X-Men. And to be fair, a lot of superheroes are based off of Zorro. Like, Batman was based off of Zorro. And that's why Batman traditionally is seeing a Zorro film the night that his parents are killed. Can you imagine if um, Spielberg had directed and he had gotten his pick? Tom Cruise. For 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 Zorro, was that who it was? Yeah, that's. I saw a bunch of other people. Apparently, that Spielberg was being sought to direct, and at the time, he wanted Tom Cruise. That's bizarre. It is bizarre because I saw like Andy Garcia on multiple people's lists as you know because he was up and coming at the time. It was pre Ocean's uh, Ocean's Eleven. Although, like, I don't think he would have been good. I, I like him a lot, but he Andy Garcia always just kind of to me it was like a 50 year old man yeah completely. and i just watched him in um father of the bride for remake rewind and uh like i don't think he looks much older than he did in 2001 no, he's aged very well he looks almost identical to the way he did in 2001 <laughs> in um in oceans 11 so i don't know man um i'm just gonna go through my notes real quick and see if there's anything else i can think of um, no, my, my big note at the end is I don't think De La Vega was really all that heroic. Like, I feel like his legacy is kind of tarnished by the end because he was just a stubborn old man and, like, didn't actually care about the people. I mean, but are are any are any of them, like, really that 
noble? Like, what is their objective? So his objective the was just to get... The new Zoro was, like, just trying to get out of his captivity. No, the new Zoro really just wanted to kill love. He didn't care about but anything But initially... Else. Yeah. Initially, he was just trying oh, no, to get out of his but captivity. But he also was is somebody who was, you know desperate had no other options everything like he was the lowest of the right. low he's just like in survival mode right pretty much the entire film but as soon as he has any kind of agency and he has the power he immediately is willing to give up his revenge for the greater good like he's the convinced that he, he's convinced by og zoro that his revenge needs to be saying he will get it but there's a bigger plot at hand and they need to figure it out and even at the end of the movie, he goes and rescues all the people first and stops the explosion before getting his revenge. Like, he was a good dude. Like, Zoro, new Zoro, you know, was actually a good person. He just needed, you know, we talk about it a lot. Like, the, the, they say, and this number's probably too old now, but um, back in the day, like 10 years ago, they said $75,000 a year is the point where people can start to be happy and not have to worry about things. All he needed was a little bit of a pick-me-up so he doesn't so he doesn't have to be fighting for survival and he became a great person and a productive member of society. Yep. So I think he was a good dude. But not De La Vega. Screw him. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I, I and I like Anthony Hopkins, but like I was really surprised that like I didn't find him to be likable by the end of the day. I liked his character less and less as the movie progressed. Well, and he would have been completely ineffectual if his his plot to escape prison, which was faking dead, had not worked. Right. Like, that's how he gets out. Yeah. He fakes dead, and then Love comes in and is like, get that out of here before it starts to stink. Yeah. And that's how he escapes from prison. Yeah. Which, by the, the way, um, that's basically just taken from the Count of Monte Cristo. I've never actually seen that or read it. Oh, really? No, that, I haven't. That's how, um, what's his name? Henry Cavill. Dantes. Dantes? Or, or I guess it would well, no, there's, I think there's an accent over the E. The main character escapes that way. Got it. Yep. Was that Henry Cavill or was that Guy Pierce? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it. <laughs> I've only read it. <laughs> um, so let's, let's, let's just answer the question. Did this ruin your childhood? No, no. I think it, it, it definitely altered my perspective about this movie. I don't know if it's something that I would have considered particularly family friendly. But somehow it very much was presented as a family-friendly yeah, film. It was a family romp. Um, I'm, I'm there are torn. some things that are problematic, like the scene where they're flirt fighting and he cuts her clothes off. Because on one hand, it's like, yeah, that's horrifically aggressive and scary and not okay. But at the same time, they were like both pursuing each other and like not really fighting. They weren't trying to hurt each other. It was just like. It was a weird kinky their, thing. Their chemistry was really good, though. Like that dance scene as well. Like, they did have really good chemistry. They, that dance scene was pretty hot, too. I'm like, glad it was her and not Selma Hayek or Penelope Cruz, who right. were both considered for the role. Yeah. I, it's refreshing as well because she looks like she could be 20. She was 29 or 28. She was, tw yeah, 28. When they, they filmed, filmed this, yeah. she looked great. But usually you're casting someone a lot younger. I mean, by contrast, we get Kira Knightley pretty much on the heels of that. And she was, what, like 17 in the first Pirates film? No, I think she was a little older than that. I think she was 17. She was very young. She was I a think, teenager. Yeah, she was like 18 or 19. So it was nice to see 
you know, a woman approaching 30 playing a 20 year old. Yeah, that, that was surprising. Instead of you know, um, a 16 year old. Yeah, uh, for me, I'm, I'm on the fence. Like, I actually was really excited. I've been wanting to cover this for a couple of years. And I was actually really excited about watching this because I remember really enjoying it. And I like the the action was actually better than I thought it was going to be. Like I was expecting to be cheesy nineties. Like the action was fantastic. Like I I kind of want to watch the two thousand five sequel to see if the action's still there because I legitimately like the action. The practical effects yeah. were fantastic. The story was a little lacking. The performances yeah. were all fantastic. I don't think there was a bad performance but, in this film. Okay, if you look at it as a western, is the story really lacking, or is it just a western? So as somebody who hated westerns until remake rewind and watch no there are some amazing westerns now like i i there are a lot of bad like the spaghetti westerns aren't necessarily great but there are some legitimately good westerns and modern westerns like 310 to yuma is fantastic um the remake of uh true grit is legitimately one of the best movies ever made like i think it's a fantastic movie um i've really gotten into to westerns over the last five years um so in some regards, like the action was much better. The story was eh, but like I didn't really find any characters all that great. There's some good one line. Like I really like the confession scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was pretty funny, but it was like that scene was funny. I liked the action, but like there were, I didn't feel like there was anything that really engaged me the whole movie. Right. So I'm torn. Like I don't think in some ways this was better than I thought it was going to be. Like the action. I think I would have liked to see. Robert Rodriguez's original pitch for the film, which was darker and rated R. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's what, that's no, what I want. That's next. what it would have been. Um, but I thought this movie was beautifully shot, though. Too like the contrast, the color, like it was composed really. Like this was a good-looking movie. I, I think it was a mediocre movie that was packaged very well. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a beautiful movie. It's shot beautifully. It's masterfully made. And they shot in location in Mexico, which makes a big difference. Yeah. So, like, there's a lot of good elements to it's it. It's actually set near Monterrey, right? Right. Because at yeah. the time, that would have been the capital. Yeah. So, like, overall, I don't think this was a great movie. I didn't enjoy it as much as I know I enjoyed it when I was younger. Hmm. But I don't think it was a bad... I, I think it's just kind of a eh movie. Yeah. Like, it's a very meh movie. So, it didn't ruin my childhood, but I don't feel necessarily validated, like... I don't know if I'd ever watch this again. Right. I could go a couple decades without watching it I do again. want to watch the sequel just because, but that's about it. I just, like, I'm, I'm a little conflicted because I do love the character, but I'm also, like, more interested in seeing different versions of Zorro. I'd love to see a newer version of Zorro through, like, an anti-colonialism lens. Now that that's an option in our society, I think that would be a lot more interesting if, I can't if remember, it was a little bit more honest. I can't remember the name of the actor, but he was in like he was in every everything when they wanted a Latin American guy who wasn't super super famous. He was in the that Shea Chavara movie, The Motorcycle Diaries. Um, Garcia Bernal. Yeah, Gael. he's supposed to be. They he's been tied to a Zorro movie for like ten years. Yeah, but he's like four foot five. That and then there was going to be one. <laughs> apparently, like they he he's was going to be Zorro, one. He's probably like five foot. Well, four. then they were going to do one that was set in the modern day, kind of thing. And then they were going to do another one that was actually in the future. So like he's been tied to like three versions of Zorro for the last like ten fifteen years. Um, but I think now would be a good time to remake Zorro. Well, yeah, and he's got that like, kind of like little boy face still, even now. How old is he now? He's forty three now. Oh, I would have thought he was older actually. Oh, he's five seven. Okay, which means he's five four. 
Tom Cruise height. <laughs> um, no, I mean, that's it. I, I, I don't got anything else, though. Um, no, that's pretty much all I've got. Yeah, Didn't ruin our childhood. If I had to say yes or no, I'm going to say no because I didn't hate it. It just wasn't as good as I remember. I think it, that kind of counts as a yes. Fine. If it yes. didn't hold up. Yeah, but other things exceeded my expectations. Like uh, that's the thing. Like certain, like the action exceeded my expectations. That's but true. Everything else. So like it's it's kind of a a, a wash, like a, a draw. Like it right? just exists. I feel like for me, there were certain things that I was really impressed with, like action. 10 out of 10. Horse stunts, 10 out of 10. Oh, the horse stunts Fights. were fantastic. The horse stunts were insane. Yeah. And there were so many of them. Yeah. Just like watching them gives me anxiety because there's so much that can go wrong. Yeah. And like it, it's hard enough to to set up a scene for stunts with your rigor and your stunt Whoa, coordinator what did you just say? and your stunt <laughs> actors. But if you add a horse to the mix, you're like you're adding an actor who you can't fully Con- communicate control, with. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, let's break this down. So we say action, 10 out of 10. Stunts, 10 out of 10. We yeah. can loop those together. Composition, cinematography. I'm going to say 10 out of 10. It yeah. looked really good. Character work, 10 out of 10. I thought yeah. the, like, the acting, the performances were great. I just... I the, think the, the, the romance, we all remember it being a little bit more because that saucy scene was in the trailer. So... Like that influenced our memory of it a lot, also, but I think the romance between them should have been a lot more interesting. It was a little rushed. Yeah, it's kind of like what is it that is attracting them to one another? To I mean, be like fair. she she's obviously just a kink, but for him, like what is it about her that is making this hot rich woman? I guess. I guess. I mean, let's be really fair. Needs. Antonio Banderas, 1998. Antonio Banderas with that long hair. That's peak Antonio. Yeah. He looked. He looked great. He looked great. Catherine Zeta-Jones looked, looked great. great. I mean, if somebody was like, "You want to watch them?" You'd probably be interested in watching that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was a little lacking for me. Um, the plot was a little bit so lacking. So romance, seven out of ten. Yeah. Seven out of ten. Okay. Uh, h- historical references, maybe like. Five out of ten. Five out of ten. That's fair. I just want more meat there. Mm, meats, but you're a but I guess I want roughly more, pescatarian. More meat in all of those areas. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's <laughs> right, wrap it up. Where can our listeners find you? <laughs> I'm all over the internet at Katrinosity. Check out her you? YouTube. Uh, <laughs> um, my my social media is basically the podcast stuff. So you can check out MDX Pods at mdxpods.com, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, all at MDX Pods. We're also on YouTube. Check us out. You can Google, or you can go, you can search MDX Pods, Remake, Rewind, or Ruin My Childhood on YouTube, and we will pop up. Check it out. Um, if you guys want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash MDX Pods, get early access, uh, bonus episodes. We should do bonus episodes for the show. We should figure that out sometime. We only do bonus episodes for Remake, Rewind right now, but we'll, we'll, we'll do something eventually. But that's it. Thanks for listening. Thanks Bye. for listening. <laughs>